Welcome to Wonder Tour with Derek Cobb and Drew Perot, where we are learning leadership lessons from your favorite stories. Hi, I'm Brian Nutwell. And I'm Drew Perot. And we are on a journey to become better leaders by touring fantastic worlds and inspiring lore by going on a Wonder Tour. We connect leadership concepts to story context because it sticks to our brains better. You can find out more at wondertourpodcast.com. We're back in the middle of our series on joy with Big Hero 6. In this episode, we want to go a little bit deeper into our understanding of joy by starting work on a foundational model for joy. One of the things that Big Hero 6 shows really well is how much joy there is in creating things. As humans, we all have different things that we're creating. We're not all hero and a team of nerds creating a bunch of robots, but all humans have this innate desire to create and a fulfillment from creating. How can we look at the journey of Hero and see how his joy in creating grows as he goes through his journey? From the beginning, we see that Hero finds joy in creating things, of course. He's in the robot competition, he loves making his nanobots for his science competition, and he really does experience joy in it. And that joy is an individual experience at that point, as he's creating by himself. As Hero's journey progresses, he gets involved in Tadashi's community that he created. This group that collaboratively creates and innovates and experiences the joy together. When Hero joins that community and really deepens his roots in it, he comes to learn that his creative skills get amplified by the group. And not only that, but he's actually more fulfilled by creating with others than he was by himself. So what can we learn by looking at Big Hero 6, the team that they have created, and how they are able to find joy in every moment by working together in this creative community? Welcome to Wonder Tour. This is Brian. I'm here with Drew once again for Big Hero 6. So this is, of course, not a terribly heavy movie. This is one of the first Disney Marvel mashups animated, kind of targeted at kids and younger people movies. But it is just so much fun. And that's one of the things that struck me about it, especially as we were rewatching it, right, is that we're talking about this principle of creative joy or creation joy that Hero demonstrates and really all the characters in this movie demonstrate. And it's so obvious on the screen. It's obvious in the script. It's obvious in the acting. It's super obvious in the visuals is that everybody involved in this thing was having an incredibly fun time mashing up San Francisco and Tokyo into a city that had all of the architectural elements of both. I love the temple towers on the Golden Gate Bridge and the flying fish, you know, wind harvesting balloons <laughs> flying over the city and all the little silly Japanese vending machines and stuff. The physical comedy of Baymax moving around in the world in his balloon form and the whole like super deadpan scene with the police officer and, you know, plugging holes in himself with the tape. Like, Everything about that, clearly, there's a lot of joy going on just in the in the conception of this movie. And so that that comes through on the screen, right? It comes through when you when you read a book or watch a movie or listen to a piece of music or any creative artifact that you can just kind of tell when the creators were having a fabulous time. So the, the message comes through as pretty authentic, even though it's pretty simple, because, you know, that everybody involved was kind of already aligned. And that's exactly, as you said, that's what we see with Hero is that. He starts this movie out, and his form of creation is very personal. It's very 
kind of alone, right? He's got this cool little robot that he makes, and his whole shtick is he goes to these underground bot fights and pretends to be a helpless kid and, you know, get the get the bets to ratchet up high enough that he can then just go completely destroy the other person's bot and then hopefully get away without getting beat up. Like, this is, there's not much of a sense of community here, right? Like, he's just, he's he's very much on his own and sort of adversarial, and he's using his skills to literally destroy other people's things. Well, he's getting a lot of joy from winning. And right. it's not wrong to get joy from winning. It's just a finite game that he's operating in right there where he wins and somebody else loses. And that's what happens when we're individuals fighting for things aligned to maybe instances of a mission. But right, he, he doesn't have this grand mission that he's aligned to at that point. He's just like, I want to win the next bot fight and I want to get out of here alive. And there's a thrill to it for sure. And that thrill, you know, releases dopamine or whatever. But as we've talked about with Joy, we're trying to release serotonin. We're trying to become the type of people that can have joy in any moment, regardless of what the outside world throws at us. So we definitely see as Hero goes through this challenging time in his life, where he loses his brother Tadashi, that he does seemingly lose that joy. He doesn't want to stop creating at that point, but we really don't see him creating new things after that point for a little bit. He's very confused, as many of us are, when we lose a loved one, doesn't know how to move forward, needs to recalibrate himself and reorient himself to the narrative that's going on. So as Hero's going through this transformation, and he's just at the beginning of it, doesn't really realize what he's going through yet, Brian, do you want to give us a what if, give us something a little bit out of left field here to consider as we're trying to understand how do we harness this creation joy that we see Hero and the other characters harnessing? Well, we see he gets he gets a taste of it in the movie, you know, after after he kind of after uh, Tadashi tricks him into going and visiting the mad scientist lab. But I like what he says earlier than that. Like the reason that he doesn't want to go to college is because he thinks he's incredibly smart and all they're going to do is teach him things that he already knows. So despite the fact that he is personally creative, he's got this idea that there's like a fixed amount of knowledge in the world and he's already mastered it. And so like the most useful thing he can do is just like take advantage of other people with the fact that he's better at it. Like you said, the, the bot fighting circle is a scarcity mindset. It's a fixed resource environment. <laughs> so, like, what if it wasn't? What if the bot fighting community that he finds, this underground group, wasn't, you know, kind of Yakuza gangsters trying to take advantage of each other, but was, like, super supportive? What if they were like Tadashi's lab? What if the scary one-eyed woman who was running the thing was like, wow, you're amazing, we should be friends, like, you should come hang out with us at the after party, <laughs> like, you know? He doesn't, you know, we get little flinches, you know, it's classic Disney, right? We've got the, even before the movie starts, we've got the, my parents died when I was three and Aunt Cass is trying to raise me and she's a little bit neurotic, you know, so he's got this little bit of sense that he's untethered and the group that he finds is reinforcing this behavior. So what if they weren't? Oh, well, as you're saying that, I'm kind of realizing, isn't that the picture that's being painted here? Is it hey, the big hero six? superheroes actually just the opposite of the bot fighting group they're doing a very similar thing they're creating these bots but instead they're actually fusing humans with the bots they're not just making the bots by themselves except for hero 
And even then, Baymax is kind of a fusion with Hero anyway. It's kind of an right, extension right. of Hero, extension of Tadashi. So I think if they're supportive, then he has no reason to align to this other mission because he already has a group of people who are finding joy in that creation. I mean, it would be a much simpler movie as it with these what ifs. It's either like it would be a completely different movie or it would be a okay. well, the movie would have ended a lot earlier. Yeah, it would have been. Yeah, you would have would have had the conflict, right? He he, would would have a much straighter line to learning the lessons he needs to learn. So what I wanted to do, though, I love so I love what you just said is that and I hadn't thought about it explicitly, but the bot fighting community, right, is the mirror image version of what the big hero six turns into. It's people with similar skills who are set against each other rather than collaborating, who are not celebrating each other's victories, but they're in kind of the zero sum mindset as only one of us can be good at a time. Right. So that's a that's a great dichotomy to set up as a contrast. So maybe this is a good time to bring in the Joy episodes that we've already done. So if we look at, kind of in reverse order, the Office episodes that we just finished, in the Office, which is, the Office is the bot fighting world, right? Like, everybody's kind of in it for themselves, like it's completely dysfunctional, leadership is pointed in the wrong direction. And so the joy that we found in those episodes was the joy of kind of like stealing a little time for yourself on the side or harnessing the the thing that you have to do to a thing that you love to do and, you know, buying an ugly lamp on the way by and <laughs> during the 5K, right? Like it was a very individual victories of joy. We get to see Jim being joyful on the basketball court, right? Like he just gets to be awesome and try to impress this girl. Like, but these are very individual things. Like there's not a lot of sense of community in the office team, although we do see it in the the warehouse team. So that's like the, the the step one, right? But going another episode farther back, the Blues Brothers we talked about, that's the community joy. Like the reason that the band members give up their high paying gigs to go play with the Blues Brothers again with no faith that it's going to go well is because they remember not only do I get to play my trumpet and be awesome, but I get to play my trumpet in the best band I've ever played in and we're all going to play together and it's going to be really cool. So that sense that creating in a community or doing the thing that you find joyful in a community is more powerful than doing it by yourself. The Blues Brothers, that's what we learned there. That was one of the lessons we saw is how to motivate people. And that's the first lesson that Hero has to learn here. And if the bot fighting community was that community, he might have had it already. Like he might have felt better supportive when, you know, even if he decided to go to the university and Tadashi died and all the bad things happened, he might have felt better supported and not spent three months on the couch, you know, upstairs sulking. What does it take to get him out of his funk? Mm. You really have to experience joy in community in order to appreciate it. And that's the thing that he really hadn't experienced before. He kind of has a little bit of the big brother, little brother syndrome with Tadashi going on, where he's got a lot of respect for Tadashi and he clearly loves him. And he also sees Tadashi as the golden child. And, you know, he's got to find a way to outdo him and out innovate him. And he doesn't quite understand why Tadashi does things one way versus the way that Hiro wants to do things. So. That mindset isolates him a little bit and creates that competitive nature, the individual competition. So I think that competitive nature is still there for Hero. He needs to be aligning that competitive nature toward a cause with other people. And that's when he starts to see what the actual benefits are of creating with others instead of just creating by himself. Yeah, yeah. And I think and he has a little taste of that. Like, clearly, he's pretty well 
you know, he's not completely embedded in the group, but they're all on his side when he has his microbot demo before the fire, right? So he's established some connection with his community, but when the tragedy happens, he draws back from it. The thing that gets him out is, first, he accidentally wakes up Baymax, doesn't even realize he's there. So he's got like a little bit of the Tadashi spirit is back in his life. And he, you know, just forces him to have like a conversation with this new element that has Tadashi's like kind and supportive, but also like, no, you're going to be taken care of. This is how you should, you know, you're, you have these problems. Guess what? You're having puberty. <laughs> like, you know, so he's got that. But then he, you know, that whole sequence ends with him falling down and accidentally looking under the bed and noticing that the microbot is behaving strangely. And that kicks off his curiosity, right? He has a problem to solve. Like, what's happening here? So there's a little, you know, the, the, the filmmakers contrive a way that Baymax is out solving that problem and Hero has to chase him. But that, that directly leads to the rest of the movie where he's done sulking and he's now out trying to solve a problem. And he first tries to solve the problem by himself by exploring and that doesn't work he gets chased he gets chased away so he levels up Baymax into a fighting robot and goes back and does it again and that doesn't work and he gets chased away but then we we get the team comes back together again they you know they come to check on him at the docks they get attacked they have this epic car chase in the car we get to see all the team's personalities doing their things and this all ends up with crashing the car in the water getting out and walking to what turns out to be Fred's mansion so talk to me about our mansion scene here. Yeah, so this is going to be our mountaintop for the episode. And this one's pretty simple. As we do see with these animated movies, a lot of times everything's pretty overt. But the team coming together here at Fred's mansion and recognizing that, hey, they're innovators. This is an opportunity to innovate. But if they try to do it by themselves, if they try to push forward, uh, you know, each of their skill sets is going to be inadequate in order to be able to push forward the task here. So them coming together here to create, I mean, you get all of these vibrant colors you get all these very unique things about each individual and the superhero that they're becoming and that they're creating. And yet, like, they wouldn't work all alone. I guess you could say Hero and Baymax could be like a superhero duo by themselves. But the other heroes are not what you would normally see. They're not Batman. They're not Superman, right? They're not going to be able to just go stop evil all by themselves. They're actually designing their characters, their heroes, around the fact that they're going to operate as a team and that they're going to be able to have more like medic archetypes, right? Like yeah. on the team, they're going to have like some supporting archetypes on the team. They're going to have some they're going to have some heroes that have more passive skills versus active skills that just help other people. And what you get there is the unlocking of this creation joy that even just in the imagining and the discovery, each person is able to become this unique version of themselves while fitting into the group. And I think there can be this feeling like conforming to a group or a group's purpose will take something away from me. And maybe there can be some groups where that is the expectation. I would suggest that there probably are groups where that is the expectation. And how do we create groups like Big Hero 6 where becoming a part of the group is not becoming less of an individual or less of a unique character, but it's actually becoming more of yourself, more unique? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So, of course, you know, explicitly on the screen, we have that of like, in this case, because our heroes are all engineering nerds, as they're described, right? And that describes a lot of people that we know and hang out with, right? That, that very specific kind of creation joy that comes from 
understanding an aspect of reality well enough to bring something new into existence. And so it's very, you know, it's very on the screen in this case, right, where you've got every one of them is we've got the wasabi with the knife hands or the, you know, the laser laser hands, but he understands this sort of energy power and Honey Lemon with her understanding of chemistry and structural power and Gogo is very fast. And then Baymax has got this kind of combination of the physical force plus the sympathetic, empathetic skills. But yeah, but they're all reinforcing each other to kind of become more exaggerated, more powerful versions of themselves. And what I just realized as we're talking about it, right, is the thing that crystallizes it is Fred. And the reason that Fred is great is not because he has any superpowers or skills, because he super doesn't, right? They have to kind of wedge him into the the team, but because he's the story guy. He figures out like, oh, we are in a superhero story. We can think about the problem we're facing as if it were a supervillain. We can think about ourselves as superheroes, as we have a shared purpose of leveling up each other and taking on threats that are that are harming people or threats that are, you know, harming our society. He's the story guy. He's the one that's been reading comic books and he's got all these crazy artifacts in his like juvenile man cave in the mansion, right? But he understands narrative very clearly, like you say. So that's his superpower is, you know, and he's the guy who's making theme music as they're walking around, you know, he's, he's yeah. a little bit, he's a little bit off the deep end. I love it. But that the difference between teams that build each other up and teams that force each other into compliance, I might suggest one of those things is, is everybody on the team part of the story in a way that they believe in a story that they believe in, in a role that they feel they fit into that actualizes them, that lets them be a, a, a more powerful version of themselves. Wow, that's good. Bringing in kind of Fred as the central piece there. And we don't get the backstory on how they got to be like this. But that idea that Fred kind of is able to unlock something in everybody else by helping to position them in the narrative. I mean, that is a leadership superpower. That is something that when you see it, you don't necessarily call it out. But over time, when you come in contact with good leaders, and especially with leaders with that skill set, you start to understand it. And you're like, wow, that person sees the narrative really clearly. They kind of can see the journey that everybody's on. They can more or less see the vision of where we're going and where each person's trying to go. And they're able to help people to find their place in the narrative. It's like, I almost think like you're wrestling with the narrative sometimes as a leader. Like you're trying to figure out where do I need to just follow the flow? Where do I need to reimagine this scene? Because it feels like we're not able to progress past this part in the story until we have a better understanding as a team of this scene, of this chapter of the book, however you want to think about it. And yeah, that's exactly what Fred's doing the whole time. He's like, all right, well, the team needs something to align around. Like, we need to have a story here. What is the story going to be? And of course, it's simple since it's an hour and a half movie about superheroes. But he finds a way to get the team working towards something. And that's that's only one of the heroes, right? All of them have their own abilities that they bring to the table. And because somebody like Fred is curating in his own sort of way experiences for them, they are then able to become a more unique, a more distinct version of themselves while scaling their influence and, and power as a part of the team. Right. Absolutely. So this goes back to our conversation with Jenny last week, right, where we were talking about how empathy is one of her superpowers. Right. But this idea that 
the leader doesn't necessarily have to have all of these things internally all the time. Like you can pick up the superpower from somebody on the team and everybody can align around it. In this case, you know, Hero kind of effectively becomes the leader of the team, but he doesn't do that unless he just jumps on board with Fred's conception of the world. And honestly, mm-hmm. that's what we're doing here, right? Like the whole intention of Wonder Tour is like in your if you're in a difficult leadership challenge, if you're faced with a problem you're trying to solve in a group or as the leader of a group, Framing it as a story, framing yourself or the problem you're facing as a character archetype or a problem archetype is a really powerful way to like, oh, well, you know, if this was, you know, if I was Obi-Wan in this situation or Gandalf, this is what I should do. If I was Tadashi in this situation, this is what I should do. And so that's one of the nice things about the way they did this, right, is that Baymax is... Not only is he, you know, he's the robot that Hero gets to play around with, but he also brings Tadashi's superpower to the group. He's got the empathy. He's got the caring mindset. And he brings it in automatically, even when Hero doesn't want it. So let's put a cap on this then. The back end of our mountaintop is really this whole centerpiece of the movie, the, the, the second training montage, where it starts with them in the mansion sort of cocooning with Baymax and coalescing around being a team all the way through the training montage of every one of them leveling up and getting their super-powered suits. And then finally, this fabulous flying scene where Baymax, you know, kind of figures out how to, they figure out how to work together. And they're just flying through San Francisco and doing all these crazy stunts. And then they end up on top of this balloon, overlooking the sunset, just kind of bobbing their feet around and just kind of chilling. And there's several moments in that whole sequence where Baymax is inserting the Tadashi point of view. Like, how are you feeling? Oh, I noticed your, you know, your vital signs are doing this. It looks like you need more of this. Where it's, you know, this is initiated by Hiro getting out of his cocoon and buying into a community and buying into, I can be creative again and we can solve a problem together. But then it cascades into him actually getting some personal growth and discovering a level of joy that he didn't know about. He had not experienced this level of, this is amazing, in his bot fighting days, in his, I don't want to go to university because it's stupid days. He needed to do that with the community. He needed to do that with the Baymax Tadashi feedback. He needed to take up a bigger challenge to get to the this level. Yeah, it's almost like the creation joy within ourselves. We can put our finger on it sometimes. We can say, I find a lot of joy in developing software. I find joy in playing music. I find joy in leading people towards business objectives. I find joy in leading my kids, whatever, right? But it's hard to grapple with other people's creation joy sometimes. And so that's kind of the tension that we see up to that point in the scene you were talking about, Brian, with Tadashi and Hiro is Hiro thinks that his creation joy is the only sort of joy that he can experience. And it's not that Tadashi doesn't think that. I don't think Tadashi thinks that way at all. But Baymax is a little bit unidimensional at this point. Baymax is not like a fully developed version of Tadashi yet. And so Baymax doesn't quite understand the joy of flying and the joy of pushing past barriers and stuff like that. Baymax finds joy in helping people. But this is the moment where we get the fusion of two different people's creation joy. You get the fusion of Baymax wanting to help people. And that's what creation is all about for him is helping other people. And then you get Hero and creation for him is all about these delightful experiences with bright lights and fast movement and breaking some sort of a barrier that people told him he couldn't break. 
So really to, to be able to experience joy in its fullest, if we're talking about is creation joy a higher form of joy, I think it is. And I think we need to look past our own creation joy and look into other people's and see how are they getting joy? You know, I might not fully understand what they're doing, but just to sit back and just look out over the city and try to see it the way that they're seeing it. I mean, there's a lot of power in that. And it teaches us not only how to empathize with people, not only how to build a community, but it actually brings us joy too, just from experiencing it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, um, you know, as you and I have certainly had this experience, but anybody that's ever been into a big factory, right, any sort of a production environment, you know, that's a fundamentally creative thing. You have raw materials and parts coming in one end and you have finished products that people can use in their lives coming out the other end. And that's an amazing thing. All the individual people that are working there, they're not necessarily like inventing new ways of doing physics to have laser hands, right? They're not necessarily imagining exactly how this part should be designed, but they are absolutely sharing in collective joy. Like this thing couldn't come together without all of their individual creative and technical skills and the whole stack of people that are supporting that to exist by doing finance and HR things and anything else that needs to happen. Right. So that sense of creative collaborative joy probably applies to other settings. Like it's, you know, a hospital is, is a much more of a service environment, but you've got a lot of people that need to collaborate around that purpose. And I think we'll get to talking about that a little bit more in the next episode. So maybe let's leave it here with the community for this episode. And if you want to take us through We've started to unpack this hierarchy of joy. So what are what are the takeaways that you've got so far from examining Big Hero 6 and looking back on our last couple episodes? All right. So you kind of took us into our start of a model for joy. And it looks like it starts out with what we see Hero doing at the beginning, which is kind of this self-actualized creation. He's finding joy in his own actions. But then we take that to another level here when you create with a community. And like we said, creating can be a whole lot of things for humans. It doesn't just have to be making robots or traditional innovation or things like that. There's many other ways that we can experience creation joy. Then we also talked about how magnanimous communities shouldn't force conformity, but instead should make each individual the best, most unique version of themselves. And I think that's a trap that we can fall into sometimes is thinking we need to conform to the community or we need to make others conform to the community instead of allowing them to form the community through their own uniqueness. We talked about how creation joy needs to be anchored to a narrative with Fred. Fred gave a great example of just framing everything around a narrative so that people could find the creation that they were looking for. And then lastly, we just talked about how we really have to explore other people's creation joy, not just our own. That's that taking it from the self-actualized creation to the doing it in a community creation. Awesome. I like that. I love that we're starting to coalesce around a hierarchy of joy. I suspect that our listener community will very naturally understand that joy in creating new things, joy in bringing things into life in the world. So let's leave it there. Uh, We're going to come back next week for Big Hero 6 Part 2, in which we start to question or at least explore a little more deeply, is character in fact destiny? But in the meantime... Have a great week. We hope to get back with you then. And just remember, as always, we still believe character is destiny.